0: It is good to see you guys. We are so glad you are here. You know, I was, uh, this week, we have a, uh, a Shih Tzu. His name is Toby. I have a picture of him here, picture of Toby. Um, Toby has two different colored eyes. He, or, he, one is blue and one is brown. And uh, he's with us for 14 years. He died, actually, this week. And... Uh, um, so, you know, he was with us really almost the whole time that we've lived here in South Florida. We've been here for about 16 years. So um, when someone's with you, an uh, animal, person, for that long a period of time, of course you miss them uh, when, when they're gone. And as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, Tombstone, uh, you know, I, and then thinking about the fact that one day we will all, we will all face that, right? One day our heart will stop and we'll find ourselves standing before God. And as I thought about that, I thought about um, two truths, okay? So if you want to pull out that outline that you got when you came in, and I want to jot these down. Here's here's the, the first truth, is that time is short. I mean, it goes by a lot quicker than we realize. You know, if you have children, the moment you have a child, Here's what people are going to tell you. They're going to say, they grow up quick. If they hear you talk about, oh, I have to be up all night, or, oh, they're driving me crazy, or, oh, whatever it is, you're going to have hundreds of people tell you, they grow up so quick. And when they're toddlers, you're like, I hope they do, right? And then they turn teenagers, and you're like, I wish I'd either go forward or backwards, but 13 is not really a nice age. Uh, but they grow up quick. Time is short. Man, it, it goes by very quickly. Look what it says in John chapter 9, verse 4. It says, we must quickly carry out uh, the task assigned us by the one who sent us. So who assigns the task? Well, God does right? He created and me on purpose to do something of significance. You didn't fall out of a tree. You didn't wash up on the shore. God made you. God made me uh, with a destiny and with a purpose, something to accomplish. And then he says in John 9, 4, why? Why do we need to carry this out quickly? Well, because the night is coming and then no one can work. In other words, life is not very long. The wisdom writer says it's just like a mist. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. So whatever it is you're going to accomplish, whatever it is that you're going to do, you need to be about it, the writers of the New Testament say, because life, life is short. The second thing that I jotted down as I prepared for this week is that what we do on planet Earth matters. What we do matters. Because the Bible teaches that What we do on planet Earth impacts our reward in eternity. Now, we don't earn our salvation. Salvation has nothing to do with what you or I do. It has everything to do with what Jesus uh, did for us. But the Bible does teach that what you and I do with what God's given us determines the reward of the crown, you might say, that we have for eternity. So how we live our lives and what we do with our time on planet earth is really important because it's going to have an impact on us for eternity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 8 it says each one will receive their own reward for their own labor. So life is short and what we do here on planet earth is important. And you know, I don't know if you thought about this before, but most people die slowly. In other words, they don't die in accidents. I mean, those are the ones that shock us and they catch us off guard. But most people die in a hospital bed or they die in hospice in a home bed. And and it may take days or years or months. Most people die slowly. And here's why that's important is because there's lots of time to think about your life, yet no time to do anything about it. In other words, it's in those moments as we're preparing for what lies on the other side that we think about our lives, and we either have a sense of anticipation, like a reward. The Bible says where God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You weren't perfect, but you ran after the dream that God put into your heart. Your life mattered. It made a difference. You're leaving a legacy or regret. And regret's a horrible feeling, isn't it? Right? There's nothing worse than thinking about what could have been, what should have been, what might have been. I mean, it's just a horrible, horrible feeling because regret is the emotion you feel when it's too late to do anything about it. When I was 10 years old, I grew up in Arkansas, and every year we had a county fair. I don't know if you've ever been to a county fair. And one of the contests we had was a greased pig contest. How many of you have ever been to a greased pig contest? All right. Nobody? That's okay, a few of you maybe. You know, it was Arkansas, okay? And what it is, is they put all these baby pigs in a pen and they grease them up. And then they turn us 10-year-olds loose and say, go catch them. And if you catch a pig, you get a prize. And I was 10, which, you know, this is a long time ago, and I still remember I caught a pig and then one of the big boys came over and took it away from me. It's kind of like our egg hunt a few weeks ago, all right? (laughs) Came and took it away from me. Now, this has been decades ago, and I still regret that I didn't fight for my pig, you know? I didn't get the prize. Regret's a horrible thing, you know? What could have been? Well, I think as you and I find ourselves at least staring towards the tombstone, the fact that we are one day going to die, we will either anticipate rewards or we will have a sense of regret. Now, I think the reason that we have regret is not because we're bad or because we're evil. I think we get frustrated. In other words, I I, I think that there is a dream of starting a business or having a great marriage or being an incredible parent or being in shape and being healthy, whatever it is. But life, life is hard, isn't it? I mean, life is just, oh, man, life can be really, really difficult. It can be overwhelming at times. Sometimes it feels like you take one step forward and you take three steps backwards. You know, you get a raise and then your car breaks down. You know, something good happens and then the kids get sick. It just just, just seems like there is something working against us. And when that happens, we get frustrated. And when we get frustrated, we just kind of give up and we just live for the weekend. I mean, just, just just survive during the week so that we can have some semblance of fun on the weekend. We give up on our dreams, we give up on our destiny, we give up on our lives really having and making a difference. And as a result, as life wraps up, we're filled with regret. And when you talk to most people, they seem to have a whole lot of regret as opposed to an anticipation of reward. Now why is that why does it seem that life is so uphill <laughs> it's so overwhelming at times and this week as i was studying i read back in the old testament over a familiar passage of scripture and i think it's going to give us some answers it's found in the book of haggai all right now let me tell you what's happening okay is that, remember the story of god's people They end up in Egypt in bondage, God sets them free. They go to the promised land, it takes them a while, but they eventually go into the promised land and great things are happening, but they forget God. And when they forget God, God allows the the enemy, the Babylonians, they come in, they again capture, you know, the, the, the people of God. And then God sends them back to the promised land to rebuild the wall in the book of Nehemiah, if you've read the Old Testament, and to rebuild his house, to rebuild the temple. Then we read about that in Haggai, Zechariah. We see the success of all those things in the book of Ezra. Well, in the book of Haggai, he's a prophet. And God comes to him one day because God's brought the people back, but they hadn't put a shovel on the ground. In other words, they're living back in Jerusalem, but the temple hasn't been built. Nothing has moved forward, and God comes to Haggai, and he's like, Haggai, I want you to go and tell him I'm not okay with this. I'm actually upset about this, and I put the whole chapter there in your outline because I'd love for you to read it, but we have enough time to look at verses 5 and 6, about halfway down, okay, about halfway down. The angel, uh, God comes to the prophet Haggai, tells him to go to Zerubbabel, who is the governor, and he says, here's what I want you to tell him. Take a good, hard look at your life. Think it over. Have you spent a lot of money, but you haven't much to show for it? You keep filling your plates, but you never get filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put on layer after layer of clothes, but you can't get warm. And the people who work for you, what are they getting out of it? Not much. A leaky, rusted out bucket. That's what they're getting. One of the translations says you put money in your pockets, but it just seems to fall through the holes. I mean, can you identify with that? Can you identify with that frustration that you can't, just can't get ahead? That no matter what good happens, there's always something bad on the other side. And you just can't make progress. You know, you just can't get where you want to go. And there's all these temptations and frustrations to just kind of give up. Well, that's the struggle they had. And then you go on in verse 7, and it says, That's why the God of the angel army, so God says, "I'm Go back, Haggai, I want you to tell him, take a good, hard look at your life. Think it over Then God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to climb up into the hills. I want you to get some timber, bring it down, and I want you to build my house. I want you to do what I brought you here to do, which is to rebuild the temple. He says, do it for me, God says. Honor me. And then listen to what he says. He says, you've had great ambitions for who? Yourselves. He says, you've had great ambitions for yourself, but nothing's really come of it. Well, I've just kind of blown it all away. Why? Well, because while you've run around, caught up taking care of your own houses, my home is in ruins. And he's not really talking about the condition per se of the temple. What he's basically saying is, I brought you here. I, the all-powerful all-knowing everywhere at one time God took you out of bondage to the Babylonians I brought you here and the Persians and I brought you here and you haven't done what I brought you here to do you've gotten distracted you're building your own houses you're running after your own dreams and that's why he says because of your stinginess And so I've given you a dry summer and a skimpy crop. I've matched your tight-fisted stinginess by decreeing a season of drought. Nothing, not man, not woman, not animal, not crop is going to thrive. God says, I brought you together to, to build my house But rather than build my house, you've been distracted by your stuff. And as a result, guess what? You're never going to succeed in what you're pursuing because you're fighting me on it. And I'm not going to lose. Now, my question for you and I today is the same. Is that God brought you here. I mean, the, the reality is, is you are here. Now, I don't know how you got here. I don't know whether somebody invited you. I don't know what part of the world you're from. I don't know, you know, what language you speak. I don't know what your background is. But here's what I do know. No matter what campus you're at, whether you're watching on television or whether you're in South America or right here in Cooper City, you are here. And as a result, you're not here by accident. God brought you here. And he brought you here so that together we could do what he has called us to do. And when you and I get distracted from what he called us together to do, and we get focused on our businesses, and we get focused on our families, and we get focused on our recreations, God says... um. You're always gonna struggle in that. And I think we struggle in two ways. One way we struggle in that there's never enough. I mean, some of us struggle with finances, we struggle, we worry about the mortgage, we worry about the kids going to college, we worry about having to take the kids to the doctor. I mean, there's always just a financial tension on you. just always kind of pulling you down. You just, just can't seem to get ahead. And then others of us have maybe bro- you've broken through that, But you're scared to death that you're going to lose what you have and go back. And you're like, I don't want to go back to worrying about money. So instead of worrying about not having money, you're worrying about losing money. And so you're not able to enjoy what you do have. And Haggai says that the reason we find ourselves there is because we have gotten distracted. He says, I brought you here to build my house. And when you do what I brought you here for, guess what happens in your life personally? you succeed. But when you allow yourself to get distracted by what you are doing instead of what we are doing, he says, you're going to struggle. And I really think that that's important because I do think that God brought you here because you're here. (laughs) And that God brought you here to potential church and whether it be Pensacola or whether it be Hollandale or whether it be Lima or whether it be the Bahamas or whether it be television or whether it be online, My question, I guess, is have you allowed what you do well, your job, your success, your dreams, and your finances to distract you from what we are called to do together? Have you allowed what you do well to distract you from what we are called to do together? And if so, how do we we fix it? You know? How do we get back to where God wants us to be so we can experience the excitement of what he wants us to do together and the celebration of what he wants to do in your life personally so that when we do face the tombstone, it's not regret that we have, but it's an anticipation of the reward God has promised. And that kind of gets exciting. So, as I was thinking about, well, how do we, you know, how, how do we do this? How do we get back to where we're supposed to be? And I, I, want, I just kind of want to share with you another part of the Old Testament, another story it's found in 1 Samuel 14. And then we're going to go back to Haggai chapter 2, and we're going to see what happened in their lives when they got their priorities straight, when their distractions were gone. And you might be surprised, but in 1 Samuel chapter 14, you have the people of God and they have their first king his name is Saul and they're battling It seems like as always the Philistines you have the people of God on one hill or mountain you have a valley and then you have the Philistines on the other hill Saul the king is just kinda Watching it all go down, him and his boys, and he has a son. His son's name is Jonathan, and Jonathan kind of sneaks away. doesn't tell his dad what he's going to do. Jonathan and his armor bearer, and they kind of go down into the valley, and he looks to his armor bearer, and he says, We're going to take them on, the two of us. He says, because God can do it with a bunch of people or God can do it with a few people. And his armor bearer looks at him and says, well, you know, Jonathan, I mean, whatever you say, I am completely committed to you. And basically, they go up in chapter 14 and they take on the Philistines. They they knock a few of them out. The Philistines freak out, think all the Israelites are coming. And they scatter in a million different directions. Saul kind of wakes up and tries to get in on the end of it. And I think in this chapter, we really discover how you and I can get back, you might say, to where God desires for us to be. I have three thoughts that i want to give you real quickly that I think will help us to remove from regret to reward. Here's the first thing that we have to do, is that we have to get back in the game. We have to get back in the game. Um... Saul is over here on this hill. The Bible says, well, let's just read it first. In uh, verse 2 of chapter 14, look what it says. Saul and his 600 men were on the what? Say this word with me. We're on where? Were where? Yeah, they were on the outskirts. You know where the outskirts are? Uh, they're out in the skirts, I guess. They're out here. They were over here, right? They're on this hill, and the Philistines are on that hill. Now, do you know what you can do from this distance? Watch. That's all you can do is watch. You can't engage. See, that's why Jonathan left. Jonathan said, I'm going to stop watching and I'm going to actually engage the enemy. Because I believe that God can do it with a few or God can do it with many. But all Saul and his boys did was watch. Just watch. And I, I, I think that it's easy for many of us to just watch what God's doing. We watch the, uh, Jean's story that we heard a few moments ago, but we weren't engaged in her life being changed. We watch people park our cars and we watch people minister to our kids. We watch the worship team lead us in worship and we watch the greeters shake our hands. We watch the ushers receive the offering. We watch people as they engage financially. We we watch. But you and I will never have success watching. You got to get back in the game. And to get back in the game, you got to cross the valley and engage. The enemy, you, you know, while we, uh, or the reason, I guess, maybe that we sometimes watch is, well, we, it's not because we're mean. We're just busy. And so we say we're waiting. I talk to folks all the time. They tell me they're waiting. They're going to engage. They're going to get involved. They're going to serve. They're going to give. They, they love God. They love what he's doing here. But they're waiting. They're waiting till the kids get a little older. Because it can't be real faithful right now because the kids are young, and, and you got to put so much stuff in the car when you take them anywhere. And, you know, and they've they got all these things that they're waiting for. But as soon as the kids are a little bit older, then they're going to cross the valley and they're going to engage. Sometimes I, I talk to folks who are, who are waiting for their, their children's uh, sports seasons to end you know we want to engage but we got to wait for this to get finished and that get done it takes so much of our time and we're busy and the kids have school and and so they're 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 waiting sometimes we're waiting until we get you know college Finished, or maybe as a parent till we get college paid for. I mean, I want to engage. I want to cross the valley. I want to have an impact financially. But, you know, I've got to make sure that there's resources to get the kids to college or to get the business started. And, and, I'm, and they're waiting. They're waiting for the business to get where it needs to be or the kids to get out of college. or Sometimes I talk to people, and they're waiting to win the lottery. They're like, oh, pray for me, Pastor. If I win the lottery, I'm going to help out. And then then I talk to other folks, they're waiting for the big business deal. At least once a week, somebody will walk up to me and they'll say, pray for me, I got this deal, because I think they think I have magical powers when it comes to God. They'll say, pray for me, Pastor, I got this big deal, and I'm telling you, if it goes through, we'll launch a hundred campuses. So pray for me. In other words, they're waiting. Can I tell you something? I have never seen someone who is waiting actually ever cross the valley and engage. See, because while we're waiting, we're watching, right? That's, that's what we're doing. While we're waiting for the kids to get older, while we're waiting for the business deal to go through, while we're waiting for uh, to get out of college, we're just kind of watching. We're watching others engage the enemy in trying to do what God brought us all here to do because God didn't bring anybody to watch. Watching is not part of worship. Watching is not part of being a Christ follower. See, if you read 1 Samuel chapter 14, here's what you'll discover. You'll discover that Saul had already lost his kingdom. David just hadn't taken over yet. You will also discover that the high priests that are mentioned were completely screwed up and had lost the authority to actually be the priest. In other words, see, you are disqualified when all you do is watch the one that God empowers and the one that God strengthens are the ones who cross the valley and actually engage the enemy because that's what the church does, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and what? The gates of hell will not be able to prevail. And again, that's not the idea of protection. That's the idea of aggression. In other words, the enemy has put a wall around our family and our community and our kids, and we are the church. We're not watching it happen. We're crossing the valley. We're breaking down the wall. We're taking our family back to who Christ is because that's what the church does. So we got to get back in the game. You got to get back in the game. Stop watching. Stop watching. I know we always have our reasons. Well, look what the Ecclesiastes says. It says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will, what's this word? Never. never. You will never. Just remember that. You'll never. You will never. See, I know you have dreams. You have dreams for your marriage, you have dreams for your finances, you have dreams for your business. And I'm not here I'm here to encourage you that if all you do is wait and watch you will never never doesn't matter how you know how good we rationalize or doesn't matter never because if you look at 2nd Chronicles it says the Lord's eyes scan the whole world to do what strengthen who those who are committed to him And what is it that we desire to be strengthened we need our finances strengthened. We need our businesses strengthened. We need our community strengthened. We need our marriages strengthened. But that scripture does not say that God scans the world so that he can strengthen those who are watching what he's doing. doesn't say that. doesn't say that God's looking for those who are waiting so that he can strengthen them so that they can cross the valley. No, no, no. It says that he is looking for those who are committed, who are engaged in the battle because those are the ones in whom he strengthens here's the second thing if you want to jot it down so we got to get in the game number two we have to renew our commitment to the vision and the leadership remember jonathan saul's son had an armor bearer. you could look back to moses and moses had joshua here's my definition of an armor bearer: those who partner with the leader to accomplish the vision god has given Those who partner with the leader to accomplish the vision that God has given. That's an armor bearer. Now, they're in the valley, and they're getting ready, these two people, to take on thousands of Philistines. And he says, now, we're going to do it, armor bearer. And look how the armor bearer responds in verse 7. He says, do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I am with you what? With you what? Yeah, completely. You know what you call that? Commitment. Now, what was the armor bearer saying? He was saying, first of all, I believe in the vision. I believe that the Philistines need to be taken down. They're standing in the way of what God wants to do. But he didn't just say, I believe in the vision. He was also saying, Jonathan, I believe in you. Whatever you decide, I'm with you. God has positioned you as my leader for this season, so I believe in the vision, and I believe in you. I've told you before, when I was playing basketball, we... uh, uh, in, in, in college, we were playing a team that was much larger than us. They had several seven-footers. Their point guard, I can't remember, like 6 seven, something like that. And, and we didn't have that many people that were that, that big. And this is nowadays, basketball is not about big, but it was then. And, and so the coach came up with a game plan, a vision. And he asked us to trust him and follow the vision, follow the thing. And, and we did in the first half. We come in at halftime, and his vision had us down by 10 points. And so he looks at us and he's like, okay, guys, I know we're down by 10 points, but I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to continue to believe in the game plan, believe in me, and believe in yourselves. Believe in the vision, believe in me, and believe in yourselves. I kind of looked around and we did. And when the ending buzzer sounded, we ended up winning by 10 points. Now, Paul said the same thing. He had no problem asking for that same kind of commitment. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, I'm not telling you all this so that you'll feel guilty or ashamed of how you've acted. In other words, he challenged them, like I challenge you guys sometimes. He's, he says, but I, I didn't do that to make you feel guilty so that you do what I'm asking. He says, no, I'm only trying to warn you, just as any father would warn his children. You have 10,000 instructors in the faith of the anointed one but you only have one father. In other words, what he's saying is he's saying you got a lot of people who are discipling you, a lot of people who are teaching you God's word, but you only have one spiritual father. In Jesus the anointed, I have become your father because of my efforts in spreading the good news. So as your spiritual father, Paul says, in the faith, I want to encourage you to live as I have lived and imitate my life. What is Paul saying? He's saying I want you to follow me as I follow the vision that God's given me. Not because I know more, not because I'm the only one, but because as your spiritual father that God has placed in your life, I want to challenge you to follow me. Now, I um, would ask the same when it comes to myself, Stephanie, and the leadership at Potential Church. I would ask you to follow us as we follow the vision that God has given this family for the reason in which God has brought us all together. There's a vision, there's a reason, there's a purpose, and and I would ask that you follow the leadership as the leadership follows that vision. And one of the things that we do is every year, we have what we call temple centurions. And temple centurions are those who um, protect the vision, they lead out in the vision. They engage in the vision. They, um, and, and especially in the area of finances. Every season we run after some um, different agendas and different things that God's nudging our hearts to do. And our temple centurions are those who give above their tithe because tithe is really about God's priority in my life. Every weekend when we receive the offering, it's just basically my opportunity, your opportunity, to find out if God is truly priority. Because if he's priority, I'll trust him and do what he asks. If he's not, I'll do what I think is best. Okay? That's what the tithe is. So above the tithe, we're talking about our offering. We're talking about the vision. And temple centurions are those who give above in order to accomplish that for which God has gathered us together. Um, And we can try to break it down so it's challenging to all of us. You know, kind of different levels. That, and the, 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 what the, the, to be a Temple Centurion, it's we call a silver, $500 above your offering. And that's um, a challenge, but that's one of those things that the vast majority, if not all of us, could actually attain if we were to prioritize it because it's just a few Starbucks coffees, you know, throughout the year. And, and uh, if you were here at Influence, I kind of shared with you, the vision that we're asking for us to join together in to accomplish in the next you know 18 months or so um, you may not be aware of the fact but we do have a school here It goes from preschool all the way up to eighth grade It's a, um, a great school uh, our kids were able to attend here not only do we have a school but we also have a middle school ministry and a student ministry or a high school ministry college ministry and then we are starting this fall a college now that's very very exciting and the reason it's exciting is because I don't think there's any better way to leave a legacy into the future than to invest in the next generation because we're able, and if you think about it, to be a part of um, through the school, through their beginning, and, and we're also through the ministries that we have with the children here on, uh, and the, the middle school and the high school to remind them that they're loved, to remind them that they're important, to remind them that God has a dream for them, to remind them that there's a destiny for them, and to remind them that Jesus loved them, he came, he died for them, and he resurrected and defeated death on the third day, and therefore they can too if they will receive him. And then starting a college and being able to to develop. Because remember, as we try to put our mission of partnering with people to reach their God potential, into action. We've talked about 50 campuses, 100,000 people with 150 million dollars to change the world. Now the reason that's important is because every campus that is launched is not just a group of people gathering, it's a group of people engaged. And so when these engaged people do gather, they change their communities, marriages are reconciled, children and students are reminded that they're loved, communities are fed, and most importantly, people's eternities are impacted. So every one of those campuses has a life-changing impact. We don't want to just go to church, we want to be the church. And the church that Christ formed is engaged and impacting and transforming. And so in order to do that, think about this, in order to launch these campuses, one of the cool things that's going to happen is that these, this next generation that we're impacting through the school and through all of our ministries and then through the college are going to be the very men and women who will one day launch a campus in who knows where. Okay? Maybe Los Angeles or maybe in China. They're going to be trained and they're going to be encouraged and they're going to be inspired and then they're going to go and launch. And some of them may be in ministry. Others of them may be in education. They may be in the medical field. They may be in the law field. Who knows what God will do but they're going to be trained and inspired and encouraged in the vision and so when we launch a campus in that community which now they've moved to to begin their business, they're going to be able to raise their hand and say, man, I know what that's about, and I want to be engaged in that. I can't think that there's anything more important than engaging in that next generation. Now, why that's important is because we have to do we have to prepare that facility. That's where the, the school, that's where they do a lunch and other activities. Of course, it's where the middle school ministry happens. It's where the high school ministry happens. And it's where the college, you know, the classroom's over there. So we've got to do some remodeling in the, uh, in the classrooms, developing those. We have to do some technology. I told you in the past, our technology is always um, old. You know, our team is good, so they make old technology look good. But eventually you have to go from the flip phone to the smartphone, all right? And so we have to do some technology upgrades over there. And then, you know, I asked Corey, if you guys would bring me out that chair, I asked Corey because, you know, every child or middle school, high school, college person that comes, they actually bring their butt with them. And uh, this is the chair they gave me. And uh, I think he gave me the worst one. But uh, if you go over there and look, there are a lot of chairs that are beat up like this over there. Now, the reason they're beat up like this is not because they haven't been taken care of. The reason they're beat up like this is because they've been used over and over and over again. So the truth is, is I'm glad they don't look brand new. I'm glad that after years of um, uh children and middle schoolers and high schoolers, and in the future college age kids getting sitting down and getting up and sitting down and getting up and so one of the things that we want to do is we have to you know they 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 deserve better than that, and it, we need to honor them uh, by doing that and so to remodel that facility over there and, and get some chairs and do the the technology upgrade and stuff <clears throat> over the next year we're talking. About $350,000 is about what it'll take to do all the things that need to be done. The second thing that I mentioned at Influence was our world is changing. You know, it used to be that people would sit in front of the television and be entertained, be educated, and uh, instructed. You know, they'd get their news and those kind of things. Well, the world's different now. Some people still watch television. Some of you may be here because of our television program. But there's a whole new social media, new media platform, disruptive media platform, whatever you want to call it. In other words, there is Amazon Kindle, there's Apple TV, there's YouTube, there's Netflix. Um, There there are all these different platforms in which we can communicate the good news. And I really believe that in the beginning, the Bible says God created. So the church ought to be a creative agency, a creative organism. Not one who follows the culture, but one who sets the pace when it comes to the culture. And so one of the things we want to do as we go into this next year is not get behind, not follow in these areas. We want to lead. We want to engage. We want to involve you. There are millions of people that are in this neighborhood, you might say, that we can communicate the fact that God cares about them and then God loves him. But not only that, it allows us to go where we will one day be because we're about the local church. We don't want to just have some thing that they watch. We want to be somewhere where they can engage. So when we go to one of these communities and we're able to launch you know a campus there or someone starts a church there we've already got a group of people who are engaged with the vision and are here so they're called by God to help us to accomplish that Um, and and so it's really really it's an exciting time in which we live and I believe that we will as the church be held accountable for what we do with these platforms Um, and whether we use them or just excuse them and then the last thing is of course We want to launch campuses because it is the local church that is the hope of the world. God uses the local church. It's his idea, not mine, not yours. It was his. And so we want to launch those campuses and, of course, start churches. So we're still working in New York. We've got um, ministries that go on there. We're on television there. We're uh, trying to, to, to get things started there. And then our Hollandale campus, we've never done this before. Most of the campuses that have begun have all come out of Cooper City. And so we want to see our Hollandale campus launch a campus across the county line in Dade County or in Miami. Um, There are lots of folks in Miami that need to know that God loves them, he cares about them, he wants to impact them. And we want to partner with the churches that are already there to share that message. And so we're very excited about uh, our Hollandale campus launching um, a a campus. Uh, in Miami and, and it's important you know Hollandale's is actually closer to Miami because I know that some of us folks up here in Broward County kinda get nervous at crossing the county line and so we thought it might be easier for Hollandale. now if you want to be involved in that of course all you have to do is write Miami on your card and because they'll begin um, groups um, south of uh, Broward County in, in Miami and Dade County. They'll start groups, and they'll start meeting and start getting ready, and then, you know, we'll get to 100. We'll start some kind of weekly meeting and eventually get a campus that is healthy and strong and growing down there, and if you want to be a part of those groups in some way or help, just write Miami on your card, and then the other thing is here at Cooper City. Now, the, the challenge for us here at Cooper City is that the majority of people come to church at this hour and the next hour. And while we will always cast vision for Saturday night, we will always cast vision for Sunday night, there are many that it just doesn't work for or who just will not move. So as a result, we can't reach other people because what happens is in these two services is they grow, and whether it be in the auditorium or the children's ministry or the the parking lot, it depends on who those folks are, where they are in life it will grow and it kind of hits its head and comes back down Then it grows and hits its head and comes back down and so while we'll always try to move folks to make room for new folks the growth is just limited and and so what we need to do is is to be able to launch a campus that is actually closer to some of you 15 to 20 miles if you were to draw a circle around Cooper City There are 15 to 20,000 people who call Potential Church their home who live 15 to 20 miles away from where we are at this moment. And so what we need to do is to be able to go, you know, rather than build something bigger here, which would not be cost effective, and we don't even have the land to do that because we don't own that that's across the street, we need to go so that we can impact those communities. Um... And I, I wanna show you what that would kinda of look like because I don't know if in your mind when you think about a campus, so let me show you kind of an example of what we're talking about of, of taking a Target or a, a Walmart or a Sports Authority, they're closing those, and, and remodeling. You can see by the ceiling here that that's what it once was. And you know, you, you build the, the children's ministry and you have all the hallways and the pictures and you can see the outside there that was a like a strip mall at one time. They remodeled it, the auditorium, seat somewhere between, you know, 800 and 2,000, and you got your little kids in the little rocking chairs looking at the funny birds. And, 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 and so what would happen is that we would build that, and the goal would be is to move somewhere between 700 and 1,500 people who come to this campus to that campus. And that campus would be as nice or even nicer because it would be new, and this is all over a decade old um, there. And that, then that campus, is now growing and can launch a campus this campus is got room to grow again and then launch campuses so we can continue to make a difference in this world so that when you and I stand before God we can say we didn't just go to church and watch we were the church and engaged and our world and the next generation is different because when we gathered together we did what God gathered us together to do and uh, and so I ask I challenge just as uh, Jonathan did just as Paul did for you to follow us as we follow that vision. Now, if you think about 350 to remodel, you think 150 when it comes to the different media platforms. And then to be able to do that in this coming year, we're talking a million dollars. So and again, we can't build it all in a, in a year, but we'd love to engage some of you guys as we look for the property. Some of you know a lot about how to all the things that have to be done when it comes to acquiring the property and and remodeling the the facility, all those kind of things. We want to engage you uh, in that. And you can't, you know, it won't be finished in a year, but we can at least uh, have the property and be moving in that direction. And and so we're talking a million and a half dollars above our offering. Not talking about moving money because that doesn't help anybody. Talking about uh, above and, and beyond. And when you break that down, you know, it's... A, a, a little less than $300 for every person. See, it's, 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 it's really not that much when we all engage. I think last year we had just a little over 500 temple centurions out of, you know, the I don't know, thousands of people who <clears throat> attend. So the challenge is to engage because the next thing that we see here is in, that I want you just to jot down, that Jonathan does, is he shows himself. Is it If we want to have an, an, an intentional or looking forward to a reward as opposed to dreading um, regret, we ought to show ourselves. Look with me in verses 6 through 8. He looks at his armor bearer. He says, let's go across to the outpost of these pagans. Jonathan said to the armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win the battle whether he has many warriors or a few. He says, we will cross over and what? And let them see us. Say that with me. Let, let, them see let them see us. That's kind of different, isn't it? He says, it's not like he says we're going to sneak in there and catch them off guard. No, we're going to let them see us. We're going to yell out to them. We're going to tell them we're coming. And I think that's our challenge is to show ourselves is to make ourselves known, is to engage, is to say, I am through watching, and I am through waiting, I'm gonna engage. And I think sometimes we don't engage because we're like, well, you know, I don't have a lot. What difference does it make if I engage? I mean, I'm not a millionaire, I'm not, that seems like so much money. And as a result, we just stand over here on the other side and we watch. There are only two of them. See, the success will not be dependent upon how much you have. The success will be dependent upon what God's going to do. You you don't want to watch God do the incredible. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the number of people who do not engage in a vision who say they have been impacted by the vision. In other words, I talk to folks and they'll say, this church has changed my life. It's changed my family. It's changed my marriage. It's impacted me. And yet they don't engage in that vision so that it can impact others. In other words, it's kind of like, I'm glad it helped me, but to hell with everybody else. And when I say that, I mean literally. Because hell is where people who do not know Christ spend eternity according to the words of Jesus. The Greek word is Gehenna. I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can be impacted and yet watch and wait. We've got to show ourselves. It's time to stand up. Remember Zerubbabel? Remember who the, he was? Zerubbabel. He was the governor, right, in the book of Haggai. He's the one that Haggai came to and said, hey, tell the folks. They need to quit working on their stuff and do what I brought them here for. Remember, well, look what it says. It says, And Zechariah 4.10. Because Zechariah and Haggai are going on at the same time. He says, do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord, what what, what is that next word? The Lord does what? The Lord rejoices to see the work what? Begin. Begin to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? What's God saying? He's saying don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise where you are. God, it says, rejoices to just see you engage. To see you cross the valley and say, you know what? I don't have a whole lot, but I'm going to take on the enemy because my God is all-powerful and he is the one that's going to do it anyways. All I got to do is engage. Isn't that what it says? says, God's like rejoicing because finally Zerubbabel picked up the plumb line, put a shovel in the dirt. May not known how the whole temple was going to be built, but he put a shovel in the dirt. And I think that's what God's calling of us. It's to engage. It's to be a part of what he's doing. And then, you know, I put you a ton of verses there about how God can do what you and I can't do. Now, this is where I want us to end. I want you to see what happens when our priorities... Are rearranged. Because this is the encouraging part. As I studied this week and I thought, how do I share this vision? And I want it to be encouraging. I want it to be challenging because I think it needs to be if we're going to do and be what God wants us to be. But how can it be encouraging? And here's what I want you to see, all right? He says in chapter two, God comes to Haggai and he says, Go to the boys. And I put it all there for you. We're not going to read it all, but he says, Tell them, remind them. And he says, he says think, think about it. Remember remember how you were struggling financially? Remember how you were struggling to get ahead? Remember how it seemed like you just couldn't break through? And then at the very end, he says, now think ahead. Last paragraph. Now think ahead from when the temple building was launched. In other words, he says, now I want you to think about what's happened since you have done or at least started what I brought you here to do. He says, has anything in whose fields? Whose? Your fields. Who's your? It's you, right? He says, has anything in your fields, your figs, your vines, your pomegranates, your olive trees, have they failed to flourish? In other words, he looks at him and he says, since you have begun to do what I brought you here to do, has what you're dreaming, has it flourished? And he says, of course it has. Because from now on, look at it. He says, from now on, you can count on a blessing. Isn't that amazing? See, that's the encouraging part. You will either spend the rest of your life struggling to get ahead or you will refocus your priorities and do what God brought all of us here together to do. So that through that, God will bless the dream that you personally have in your life. That's what he says. And the reason that so many of us struggle is because we are focused or distracted by what we want. Thinking that once we get what we want, then we'll do what God wants. And God says it works different. Do what I want. And in doing what I want, you will experience blessing. Because how is God going to meet the financial needs of this church? Listen, can I tell you, it does not rain money at night here in the auditorium. Do you know how God meets the financial needs of this church? Through us. So you, you, you realize that it flows through me. See, I, I always kind of think of it like this. You know what, we need a million and a half dollars. Now we can all do that or God can give me, well, what is that? 11.5 million dollars and I'll tithe it. Because God, it flows through us. How is God gonna meet the skills that the, the, the potential church needs? they're going to come through you and me it's your gifts your talents your skills but ultimately we have to determine whether we're going to trust him or not now when you came in gave you a little envelope because our we we we, a million and a half over the next year above our tithe. not you know not just moving it because that that it's not real it's not real and we always kind of start, like, let's start with a big offering. And our goal is a third of it. It's $500,000. And I want, we put, the off, we put the envelope in here, not because we're going to, you know, start today, but for you to just start praying. Are you going to keep watching? Or are you going to cross the valley and say, you know, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust the leadership and the vision that he has placed in my life. That's ultimately a decision we all have to make. Now, of course, you don't have to be here for the the big offering weekend. It's the last, the first weekend of May. So April the 30th, May the 1st. But you are responsible for the truth that you've heard. You, You can't run away from that. I am responsible as I sat down because I am just as tempted as you to be distracted by what my stuff is and then work on his stuff. And so I just challenge you to to, what does God want you to do? How should you engage? Is this going to be your year or next year, next season? Will you find yourself in the same place? The time will pass. It does every year. The question is, will I change? Will I be different? Will you be different? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for these folks, and I, I pray that it's been encouraging. I know it's challenging, but, but I think there's some truth there for me, for us, for your house. And I, I just pray that you'd help us to engage I pray rather than Jonathan and an armor bearer go alone, that we would all go. Get back in the game. Help us to get back in the game. Ultimately, so that you will be glorified in what we accomplish together and in what you do in each and every one of our lives individually. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. All right. Yeah, give God a hand. Thanks for being here. Now we will... Uh, ask our ushers to come, receive the offering as we do uh, each weekend, encourage you to be generous and um, see what God does in your life as a result of that. Um, we're going to worship. The the team's going to come out in a moment and we're going to worship. So don't run off because giving is an act of worship. And whether you give online or whether you give through texting, there's, I, I think there's a card in your chair, all the different ways you can give, but it's, it's this moment of, of worship. And so um, let me pray for us, and as we give, we will worship as well. Father, I, I thank you, and I pray that we will be a generous church. I pray I'll be a generous person. I pray you'd meet the financial needs in this house. Nothing worse than worrying about money. It's just so stressful. Give us the courage to trust you in that area of our lives. I pray this is the year of breakthrough for our house and for our houses of the individuals. We worship you and we believe we're back in the game. In Jesus' name, let's worship him, all right?